Good morning and welcome to the Sydney Global Methodist Church um, and all of those of you also that are uh, following our service online. Um, today uh, we have a the pulpit exchange and uh, our uh, pastor today is Reverend Roger Miller um, and uh, he will be taking care of the service. Um, so anyway, um, we will have the lighting of the candles now. Let's all join in uh, our opening hymn, uh, Open My Eyes That I May See. It's number 381 in the hymnal. Um, stand if you're able, please. here. Um, Sydney, we really have no announcements. Uh, we do have some um, charge announcements, and of course today is Pulpit Exchange Sunday. 
Um, uh, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday service, uh, imposition of ashes, and that will be, that's on the 14th, which is this Wednesday. Um, that's at Dunlow at 6.30. And then the uh, Lenten services for the chart or for the, the administering whatever uh, that's all listed on your in your bulletin there for all the different Lenten services uh, 218 is st. Michael um, 225 South Fork Wesley 33 Mount Olive 310 Sidman 317 Salix and 324 Mount Hope and uh, then on Sunday uh, to, you might want to take your bulletin with you if you plan to attend these services that way you have a list of, uh, of where, where they are in the times um, and they're all at six. Um, and then on Sunday on 324, uh, men's Palm Sunday breakfast at Alton Zion Church at 6 a.m. And then Friday 329, a crosswalk starting at Sidman, and that'll be at 9 o'clock a.m. And lunch will be at South Fork First from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, does anyone have any further announcements? All right, well then, if everyone will please stand for the affirmation of faith, Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. Uh, you can find that in your, your pew Bible on 488, or watch it on the screen. We'll read this responsibly. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours, devours before him and around him at tempest rages. Gather to me my consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And now if you please be seated for the pastoral prayer. I promise I won't speak for three hours. <laughs> I was warned not to do that by Bruce, <laughs> Pastor King. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here together today to worship you and to recognize your blessings that you give us and the beauty that you've given us in each and every day of our lives. Sometimes we fail to see that. But Lord, you are with us always, no matter what we're in, whether it's a good day or in our words, a bad day. We know that you are with us. We know that you are with us here today, for you've told us not to rid the gathering of the saints. We thank you for being in our midst as you promised. We thank you for this place, and we thank you for the benedictions that you give to us. We ask for a lot, and you always provide for our needs. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life to give us everlasting life, that we may be with him and with you. And we ask that you be with all this people today, gathered to your a special blessing. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, and now someone will uh, shout out a favorite hymn. 
And please stand. Somebody have a hand. Okay, 345 it is. Please stand. If I could have the ushers come up now for the auditorium.
Thank you, Lord, for the offerings and the giving back of part of what you've given us so graciously. We ask you bless this money to your work and to your convenience. We thank you for all that you do, and we thank you for all the people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. how you're stuck with me instead of your good pastor or your full time at least I want to start out with reading a little bit of the scripture I hope I'm not jumping ahead of everybody here I'm not used to uh, preaching I've been retired for a year so it's a good thing to be back Although, as most of you, well, maybe not most of you, some of you know I'm a Baptist. I've been a Baptist preacher for 50 years. I was ordained in 1974. But now I guess I'm on my way to becoming a Methodist. <laughs> <laughs> I attend uh, Wesley down in South Fork. It's a very good church and a very good preacher. So, Pastor King called me up a few days ago and says, putting together, I guess it was a week ago, putting together a bulletin, what's the title of your sermon? And I said, it's finished. The last words of Jesus, it is finished on the cross. He said, no. I said, no. He said, no. I said, I'm going to call it last words. I said, well, okay, last words. It is finished. What difference does it make? What Jesus said, he said. So, to start off with us, I want to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. And I'm I want to read from verses 32, um, well, we won't read too long, 32 to 44, short passage. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocked him, with scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Is that true? He saved himself, he can't save himself? He didn't need to be saved, he was giving himself for us, individually and collectively. He saved others, himself he cannot see, save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe. Doesn't that hold true to us today? We want to believe, but we won't believe until we see a miracle happen. If you look around, you should see miracles every day. Who knows the last words that Jesus uttered before he died on the cross? Go ahead. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. What did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? Those were his final words as a man, as a human being on earth, even though he was God. His final words, it is finished. What was he saying? Was he saying that all the work since the creation is done? I see you shaking your head back there, and you're right. That's not what he was saying at all. No. Jesus was saying that he's now fulfilled all the prophecies of Scripture. He came. Any of you read the Old Testament? You know, everything in the Old Testament points to the coming of Christ. There's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. He fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets and some of the New, the New Testament. And the two New Testament hadn't even been written yet, yet he was ahead of it. Jesus knows everything we do, minute by minute, second by second, day by day, it doesn't matter. He's with us always. So what he was saying is he had fulfilled all that he had agreed to do when he died on the cross. When did he make that agreement? The Bible tells us, Scripture tells us, that he volunteered as one of the Trinity to die on the cross because the 
God that we know knew that we were going to fall. He knew that Satan was going to try to destroy the earth, God's creation. Jesus Christ was part of the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He still is. He had known that he was going to become a man and was going to die the most horrible death imaginable. Roman days. When Romans punished somebody for whatever reason and sentenced that person to death, the Romans didn't just want to put him to death. They wanted that man to suffer. And the cross is probably the most horrible thing imaginable to die. Some people that were crucified on the cross hanged there for a week before they finally died. Horrible death. Christ died on the cross for you and for me, collectively and individually. He volunteered to do that before any of us were ever on earth, before Adam was even made. God knew when he created this earth, and I don't believe it's billions of years old like the archaeologists and geologists tell us, how many of you in here have ever picked up a rock? Probably all of you. Ladies too, I'm sure. How many of you can pick up a rock and look at it and say, oh, this lot, this is 14 million years old. Personally, if I go back to the creation following the scripture back and through the Old Testament and the ages of the people from the time Adam was born, I don't think this earth's been here more than 8,000 years at the outside. So I don't think any of these rocks that we find are more, more aged than that. But that's another lecture. But God knew before he made the earth, before he made the first man, he knew that we were going to be tempted by sin because Satan who was known as Lucifer, was kicked out of heaven. Remember, he was sitting right at the right hand of God himself. What was his sin? He wanted to be God. So he's kicked out of sin, out of God, uh, heaven for sin. Christ died so that we could be forgiven. You know, in the Old Testament, they had to make sacrifices, a lamb or a calf or a goat. Something had to be sacrificed. Jesus was that sacrifice for us. We don't have to make blood sacrifices anymore. It's not called. What could we offer that's more precious than the life of our God? But he gave it up for us. Temporarily, of course, but there's a reason for that also. Love. 
God loves us even though we're we're certainly not perfect. I'm not. I sin every day and I have to ask for forgiveness for sin. Sometimes it's my thoughts. I see somebody doing something and say, oh, geez. That's a sin. God deals with all of us in justice and in love. And we can't have justice without love. When he said it is finished, was that a cry of exhaustion because he was being punished on the cross? No. I believe it was a cry of victory. And I'll tell you why. When Jesus died on the cross, just before he died, he said, it is finished. He went into the tomb three days. When he rose, but even before he rose from the dead, Satan knew his days were over. Satan knew that he was going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. So Satan knew when Jesus Christ uttered those last three words, it is finished. Satan knew that he was doomed and that he lost. He lost everything he wanted. But not only did Satan lose, we gained. Because he paid the penalty for all of us, each and every one. Some people say, well, that was a collective thing. No, that was an individual thing. Jesus Christ died for all of us individually as well as collectively. When I think of how many bad things I've done, and then I think of all the people in the world and all the bad things that we've all done, how could our God have done in love such a thing as giving himself for us that we could be forgiven? Why and how could he carry such a heavy load? Because of love. God loves us. He loves even those who reject him because he always wants them to come to him. He wants us all to live everlasting life. And without his death on the cross, we could not have gotten that. God planned that before he laid the cornerstones of this earth. We as human beings could not come up with a sacrifice sufficient to exonerate us from our sin individually, let alone the sin of the entire world. So God gave himself to be the sacrifice for us.
He died in atonement for all of our sins. And the reason I'm preaching this now is we're coming into the Easter season. We should be reminded and know the true meaning of Easter and what it that what was done here. He died for us that we could be forgiven for sin, our sin. Do we deserve that forgiveness? I don't. Probably you don't either. But he doesn't care whether we deserve it or not. He sacrificed himself for us. Does that mean nobody's gone to hell? No, because not everybody follows what Jesus wants us to do. For all, fall short of the glory of God. Can we all declare to ourselves and to each other today that we're going to heaven when we die? If Jesus Christ is in your heart and the Holy Spirit is indwelt in your body, you are. When we stand there at that judgment seat, I kind of picture like a courtroom. Of course, that's not what it's going to be. God's going to be sitting there on that judgment seat. And name's going to be called up and that book is going to be opened. The devil's going to be standing there and saying, he's mine. And Jesus is going to say, no, no. He's mine. He's one of my disciples. He is going to be with me. Satan, you go sit down. you got no claim on this soul. Unfortunately for us, the large, largest part, the majority of the people on earth will never come to know Christ as their Savior because we fall short. We don't spread the word like we're supposed to. The Great Commission. What God say? Go forth and tell all, did he say all people? Scripture says he did go forth and tell all creatures. That's the Great Commission. I worked in the coal mine when I was a kid up there in Onalinda. We used mules to drag the coal out of the mines. There was an old guy up there. I thought he was nuts. But I'm not so sure of that anymore. Because many times when we were taking the mules out, he was preaching to those mules. Preaching the word of God to a couple of mules pulling a couple of coal cars out of the mine. I'm not so sure now that I was right in my assumption that he was out of his mind. I think he was fulfilling the scripture. Now, do I say we should go out and talk to the dogs? And I talk to my dogs all the time, but I don't talk to them about scripture for some reason. Probably should, maybe they'd be better. 
Jesus died on the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to. He did not die only collectively for the human race. He died for us individually as well as collectively. What's the easiest thing in the world to do? I'll tell you something, the easiest thing in the world to do is the hardest thing in the world to do. That's to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. How many of us go out and walk the streets day by day? Not so much walking the streets here, but we meet people. But how many of them know that we're Christians? Do we tell them or do we hide the fact that we're Christian? I don't, I don't believe there's much of anything that God won't forgive us for. The only thing I can find in the Bible is Jesus said that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. But then they don't tell us what blaspheming is. You know, nobody in mankind has a definition of that word blaspheme. Yet if we do it, we're not going to be forgiven. I think that if we did it, we'd know it. There was a Supreme Court justice one time when they were arguing about pornography. And he made a statement that sticks with us to this day. He said, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. And isn't that true? It's going to be true of blasphemy too. We don't know what it is, but when we do it, we're going to know it. So Christ gives us this easy gift for us to accept. Yet it's hard to admit that we've accepted it sometimes. What I'm getting at here is we need to be ready all the time to be a witness for Christ. When opportunity arises, and opportunity arises frequently, we need to be God's witness here on earth. That's the Great Commission. Do we all have to be preachers standing out in the corner with a megaphone and shouting to people? That, no. All we need to do is testify truthfully to what God has done for us. Yet many of us think we can't do that unless we've got a vast amount of education. Does that education change us individually? Probably not. We may learn a lot of things. The best education I had was a farmer. He only preached on Sundays. He worked his fields the rest of the time. 
He had an eighth grade education, but he loved God. And God spoke through him. On Sundays, he came into church in his coveralls, gave his lecture, his sermon. Always uplifting, sometimes scolding. But he always spoke about God and poor God. We always think that we're not worthy to spread the word of God if we don't have some kind of degree. Well, you know what, Dr. Degree? That doesn't make you different. It doesn't give you a better belief. PhD in this. I've, I've sat in churches when the pastor's been introduced and he's got this degree from this university. If he's not delivering the word of God, what good are those degrees? Maybe good to start a fire if you can get it to burn long enough. Jesus spent 33 years here on earth as a man. Roughly 33 years. In 33 years, he made as many enemies as he made Christians. Who were his enemies? Those were the people that didn't want their lives to be taken away from them. They were living good lives. They were the wealthy, the educated, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the attorneys, the rabbis. The same ones who stood there in front of Pontius Pilate and yelled, crucify him, crucify him. They waited 2,000 years or more, studying the scripture, waiting for the Messiah to come, and when he came, they rejected him. Do we do the same thing today? I think in some ways we do. But then, I'm a fallible man. I'm a guilty sinner. Jesus tells us that. Says no one is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm standing before you as a pastor. Does that make me better than anybody else? I'm going to tell you a secret. A pastor should be the lowest person in the congregation. And he should be willing, or she should be willing, to die for any member of this congregation. And I believe most of our pastors today are. In this day and age when people look for easy targets because they want to make a name for themselves, what's easier than to walk into a church where there's a group of people, mostly unarmed, can't defend themselves, and start shooting them, or as I read them, recently in uh, a Christian church in Japan where the man came in with his sword and started hacking the people. 
If people have murder in their heart, they're going to find a weapon to do that. But that doesn't mean we should not believe in Christ our Savior. He's with us. He's with us no matter where we're at. Now, I batted your ears long enough. For a Baptist, I'm pretty short in my sermons. I never could stand sitting there for three hours in a pulpit or in the pews. So I'm not going to do that to anybody else. <laughs> I'm going to try to tell them what I'm thinking and what the Lord has laid it on my mind, and that's what I've done today. I don't know if all of you know the Lord. I'm betting that you do. And I'm betting that anyone I could ask in here would probably say, yes, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. How many of us look forward to that day? I do. I want to go there and I want to meet my Lord and Savior in person. I look forward to it. I think I'm getting pretty close here, but I thought that way back when I was 20 years old in Vietnam. I didn't expect. I did three tours as a combat infantryman. I guess I was combat infantrymen. They called us combat intelligence. We were the guys that went out in the jungle and lived out there for eight and ten weeks at a time. Tried to get back to report what we found. But that's neither here nor there. I did think I'd lived through the third tour. When I left here, I was taken down to Pittsburgh by my brother was a Korean War veteran. He was an armor soldier. My cousin was an infantryman. Got shot up real bad in the South Pacific in World War II. And my dad was a wounded veteran from World War I. I went to Vietnam and we were going on my third tour. And we all knew I wasn't coming back because not very many people lived through three tours. Thirteen months. But the good Lord had it figured out. I had already re-enlisted by 1968 because I didn't want to come back and work in steel mills or in the coal mines. Infantry was a better life. Nineteen sixty-eight. In June of nineteen sixty-eight, we came under attack. I was between patrols halfway through my tour. We were under attack, monsoon rain, dead night, no light, no sun, nothing. A grenade came into the trench where I was at, and I couldn't get out fast enough. It went off under my feet. Believe it or not, I still got both legs. The grenade was between my legs when it exploded. I thought my life was over. I was blown out of the hole and out in front of the compound. 
He couldn't get to me till the next morning. I'm laying there thinking I'm dying. I'm going to bleed out. My legs are gone. I knew my legs were gone. Couldn't feel them. Couldn't feel anything. The Lord knew what he was doing. I couldn't re-enlist. So they retired me. At eight and a half years in the Army, I got retired with a full pension. Now, why did the Lord do that? Number one, I think he did it because he wanted me in the ministry, which he'd been telling me to do, and I was refusing. And he didn't want me in the Army. So he wounded me just bad enough that they were going to force me out, which they did. And he gave me a retirement. I never had to take a check to serve as a pastor in any church because I had income that he provided me from. So the Lord works in ways that we don't think so. He moves in each and every one of us individually. He knows everything we do and everything we want to do and everything we're refusing to do. And if he wants us to do it, we're going to eventually do it. We can put it off. We can play our games. But we're going to do what he wants us to do. Now, I'm, I'm going to cut that off here. I, I can be found Sundays and Fridays at Wesley Methodist down in Southwark. Fridays I'm teaching a class. You know, you can never get, once the Lord gets you, you know, he never lets you go. I'm 80 years old. Some people tell me I don't look that old, but sometimes I feel it. But I'm teaching a class on the book of Revelation. Friday mornings at 11 o'clock. Anybody's interested, you're welcome to come. But he does not. He does not retire us. I've tried to retire three or four times. I'm retired now, but I'm really not. I still want to serve my Lord. And he's given me pretty good health. Got a little problem with my left leg. That goes way back. But even Paul had something he had to carry. <coughs> Pardon me. A burden, and we all have a burden. We all have something we have to live with. Some of it we regret, and some of it's just a memory. But if we serve the Lord, He's going to be faithful to us. And He doesn't ask a lot of us just that we be honest and true to him. And with that, I want to thank you all for your attendance, for being here.
for putting up with me. I appreciate it very much. Thank you all. And let's say a word in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together. I thank you, Lord, for bringing me in among the good people. Thank you for showing me the way and helping me to get through. I hope I've not been a burden. I pray that each and every person in this congregation today will be blessed mightily, blessed in your name. That we may all come to be together when we die and come to be with you on our spirit. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for the many blessings you bestow upon us. And we thank you that we're in a country that we can worship without being crucified. We can praise your name openly. And we thank you for that. We pray now, Lord, for those who have not been able to attend today. We thank you and ask great blessings on each and every person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. It's been a blessing for me to be here. Uh, let's, uh, we're going to finish up with uh, number 335, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Thank <laughs> you.